0: Before I make a statement, I need the facts. So I don't want to rush into a statement.
1: Yes. If there's anything he's known for, it is slow, well-considered statements. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Very selective on that, I isn't it? I had the feeling something right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs to the left
0: me, to the right here I am stuck in the middle with you yep yes I'm stuck from
1: Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast 106.7 KSO in Cottage Grove In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1, in Palinville, New York on 102.9 WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, New Orleans' WHIV 102.3. Washington, D.C.'s 105.5 FM and Minneapolis, St. Paul's, AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe on the Internet, so long as Donald Trump hasn't shut him down yet. You can hear us on the Progressive Voices channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Deprogrammed Radio, Detour Talk, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker. All around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today, for joining me and the lovely Desiree Doyen. How are you holding up today, Des?
2: <laughs> I'm still here.
1: All right. That counts. That's good enough. It that counts. beats the alternative. Uh, let's see. Uh, some good. Let's start with some good news here today, since, as usual, everything will be downhill thereafter. As we go to air, AP is reporting that a federal judge has ruled Attorney General Jeff Sessions cannot follow through with his threat to withhold public safety grant money to Chicago and other so-called sanctuary cities for refusing the order to impose tough immigration policies. U.S. District Judge Harry Leinenweber on Friday granted Chicago's request for a temporary nationwide injunction. That means, they say, that the Justice Department cannot deny requests for the grant money until Chicago's lawsuit against the agency is concluded. The judge wrote that Chicago has shown a likelihood of success in its arguments that Sessions has overstepped his authority with the requirement Chicago had refused to comply with the Justice Department's demand that it allow immigration agents access to local jails and to notify agents when someone in the uh, in the U.S. illegally is about to be released from custody. Of course, uh, the cities who oppose uh, that sort of order from the Justice Department or the are those who are pointing out that, hey, You know, if we start reporting everyone who is uh, undocumented here when they call up uh, because they've witnessed a crime or when they're a victim of a crime, then people are not only going to stop calling uh, when they are victims and witnesses of crimes, but they're not going to call at all. And it sends a roadmap to bad guys. Hey, go go torment uh, the immigrant community because they are unlikely to call and report the crime. So that's why cities like Chicago and others around the country are uh, fighting back against this threat from the Department of Justice to uh, stop funding for other things if they don't take the uh, federal orders. And, you know, it's the sort of federal orders that had it been by the Obama administration that Republicans would have been beside, yes, beside themselves talking about tyranny and the federal government is ordering us to do this and that. So anyway, there's some good news to start things out. Um, Otherwise, picking up where we left off on our previous broadcast, as North Korea had just fired off its latest ballistic missile test uh, over Japan, as they tend to do, it seems, right as we're uh, getting off air. (laughs) Uh, Although, now that we're going on air, I don't want to say that, don't want to jinx it, don't want them to do it again now. In any event, North Korea has uh, conducted its longest ever test flight of a ballistic missile sending that intermediate-range weapon hurling over U.S. uh, ally Japan into the northern Pacific in a launch that signals both defiance of its rivals and a big technological advance. So we are learning more now about what that uh, projectile was that we were sort of trying to figure out at the end of our previous show, since Donald Trump's threatened North Korea with, quote, fire and fury back in August. Well, that seems to have worked out very well, didn't it? (laughs) Since then, the North has conducted its most powerful nuclear test. It has threatened to send missiles into the waters around the U.S. Pacific Island territory of Guam. It has launched two missiles of increasing range over Japan. And July saw its first test of intercontinental ballistic missiles that could strike deep into the U.S. mainland when those missiles are perfected. So the Tough Guy Act uh, has uh, been very, very effective so far, hasn't it? The tough guy, I'm talking about Donald Trump in this case, Uh, the growing frequency, power and confidence displayed by these tests seems to confirm what governments and outside experts have long feared, that North Korea is closer than ever to its goal of building a military arsenal that can viably target both U.S. troops in Asia and in the U.S. homeland. AP notes that uh, this, in turn, is meant to allow North Korea greater military freedom in the region by raising doubts in Seoul and Tokyo that Washington would risk the annihilation of a U.S. city to protect Its allies in Asia. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres condemned the latest missile launch as a serious violation of Security Council regulations, coming just two weeks after the North's sixth nuclear test, which also violated a UN ban. Those UN bans just aren't working. The Security Council uh, scheduled an emergency closed-door meeting on Friday afternoon in uh, in New York. On Monday, it unanimously had approved its toughest sanctions yet on North Korea over its nuclear test. So once again, I know that I know that rewarding bad behavior may be frowned upon. Uh, re- rewarding what Kim Jong Un is doing, but I, you know, personally also frown upon war thermonuclear or otherwise, that could end up killing tens of thousands of people in Asia and or the U.S. And I still will refer listeners to uh, Jimmy Carter's statement on this uh, earlier in the week, as well as other experts that we've spoken to, that if offering a peace treaty to end the 1953 Korean War, if that's what's needed... Uh, a, a, A promise that the U.S. will not invade in that peace treaty. We will not invade or attack unless North Korea attacks first. That in exchange for monitoring or ending the North Korea nuclear program, I would argue that would be well worth it. But, you know, who believes in giving peace a chance anymore when promises of fire and fury Or so much more fun. And, by the way, seem to be working very, very well today, don't they? South Korea's Joint Chiefs of Staff said that the latest missile traveled some 2,300 miles and reached a maximum height of about 500 miles. Guam, which is the home of a lot of important U.S. military assets, is just 2,100 miles away from North Korea, so this missile could easily reach Guam. North Korea's weapons test demonstrates that it can, as North Korea's uh, Rodong Sinmun newspaper said on Friday, quote, turn the American empire into a sea in flames through sudden surprise attack. North Korea's foreign ministry denounced the latest U.N. sanctions and said that the North will, quote, redouble its efforts to increase its strength to safeguard the country's sovereignty and right to existence. So uh, there's that. Our, uh, Our plans are working very, very well with North Korea, it seems. Meanwhile, in London, a homemade bomb exploded on a packed London subway train during rush hour on Friday, leaving 22 people injured, police and health officials say. None of the injured is thought to be seriously hurt. That's the uh, perhaps the best news we have on that so far today. Police were alerted to an incident at uh, about 8 a.m. local time after commuters reported a noise and a flash aboard the District Line train at Parsons Green. In the southwest portion of the city, chaos then ensued as hundreds of people rushed to get away from the, from the fire. Mark Rowley, the head of counterterrorism for the Metropolitan Police, said, We now assess this was a detonation of an improvised explosive device. He said 18 people had been injured, mostly with flash burns. Uh, health officials later said that four others took themselves to the hospital. Rowley said that the Domestic Intelligence Service, MI5, was assisting with the investigation, uh, along with police counterterrorism. He gave no information about potential suspects at the time, saying that, quote, it's very much a live investigation. The London mayor, Sadiq Khan, said the city, quote, utterly condemns the hideous individuals who attempted to use terror to harm us and destroy our way of life. British Prime Minister Theresa May has, uh, in just the past hour or two, since raised the threat level in Britain from severe to critical, which is the highest level that they have, denoting an exceptional threat, meaning another attack is imminent as we go to air. Critical, by the way, is also the, uh, the level that is used when and if a nuclear attack is expected. So this is as high as they go. I, I don't believe that's why it's being used here at the moment. Um, around the, the, the same time, the Islamic State, or ISIS, uh, around the same time that the threat level was raised, ISIS claimed one of their affiliate uh, affiliated units carried out the, the attack in the subway. But, of course, they almost always make that claim. Earlier in the day, when there was very little publicly known about the attack... Donald Trump took to Twitter, as he does, to very quickly declare all sorts of things about this Um, so far about this not deadly attack. Donald Trump had a lot to say about it after the news broke early Friday morning that London police were treating this fire on a subway train as a terrorist attack. The president unleashed a Twitter tirade. Blasting those loser terrorists and calling for a larger, tougher travel ban in the United States. Why doesn't he? Why doesn't he threaten them with fire and fury? That'll teach him. So he threatened uh, a, a large quote, larger, tougher travel ban as well in the United States. He also seemed to expose some potentially classified information, some classified intelligence, again in his comments. Trump tweeted on Friday, another attack in London by a loser terrorist. These are sick and demented people who were in the sights of Scotland Yard. Oh, dear. More on that in a moment. Must be proactive, said Trump. Loser terrorists must be dealt with in much tougher manner. Is he criticizing Britain for not being tough enough here after they've faced about five terror attacks uh, so far this year alone? The Internet is their main recruitment tool. We must cut off and use better. The hell does that mean? He's going to start cutting off the Internet to certain people that the government determines to be uh, terrorists through some secret process? What what could possibly go wrong? Yeah, no kidding. He said the travel ban into the U.S. should be far larger, tougher, and more specific He's referring to the travel ban that has, for the moment, been mostly blocked by the federal court system. And listen, he was the one who chose this list of just six or seven Muslim-majority countries to ban in his travel ban. He didn't say anything about, oh, let's ban them from coming in from London, did he? He said, but stupidly, that would not be politically correct. Well, maybe not, but he didn't do it, so not sure who he's criticizing with that. He said we have made more progress in the last nine months against ISIS than the Obama administration has made in eight years. Must be proactive and nasty, he says. I guess we're not nasty enough. Uh, That'll stop them if we're nastier. If there's anything the terrorists uh, fear, it's nasty people. At the time uh, that Trump published his tweets, London authorities had yet to identify, at least publicly, any suspect in the fire. But Trump was very quick to tie the attack to Muslim extremists. That assumption, or the public declaration in any event, did not go over well with conservative British Prime Minister Theresa May. In particular, uh, as it seems that Trump's reference to suspects who were in the sights of Scotland Yard... May have been problematic. May seemed to criticize Trump yet again, as she had to also do following, I think it was the London uh, London Bridge attack a few yes. months ago. Uh, she had to criticize Trump, uh, essentially, for his public pronouncements, which may have revealed uh, classified information. I never think it's helpful for anybody to speculate on what is an ongoing investigation. As I've just said, the police and security services
2: are working to discover the full circumstances of this cowardly attack and to identify all those responsible.
1: That was Theresa May after Donald Trump had uh, talked about... uh, People being in the sights of Scotland Yard, essentially, in this very live investigation, uh, you know, saying that, uh, hey, Scotland Yard knows who these people are. That's not helpful. According to CNN, a spokesman for Scotland Yard said that Trump's comments were, quote, pure speculation, given we don't know who is involved. Adding any speculation is unhelpful. So there's that. Uh, On Twitter, in response to CNN's uh, quotes from Scotland Yard, one commenter said, uh, calling Trump unhelpful is the nicest thing that's been said about him in two years. No. True. (laughs) Uh, Another commenter observed, don't we all wish he'd condemn the Charlottesville terrorism the way he quickly came out to condemn this? Instead, there, he blamed both sides. Another commenter uh, asked, what happened to need to know all the facts? Good points. Uh, Recall following that uh, neo-Nazi rally in Charlottesville several weeks ago, Trump refused to condemn anybody. Uh, for at least for a while, after uh, one of those white supremacists uh, plowed a car into a crowd of counter protesters, killing one of them, when later asked why it took so long for him to say anything about white domestic terrorists murdering someone in Charlottesville, Trump had, uh, Trump went out of his way over and over again to say, well, he couldn't speculate it. He did not want to come out too early before all the facts were known.
0: I wanted to make sure, unlike most politicians, that what I said was correct, not make a quick statement. The statement I made on Saturday, the first statement, was a fine statement. It takes a little while to get the facts. You still don't know the facts. I want to know the facts. Sure. When I make a statement, I like to be correct. Oh, he does? I want the facts. Before I make a statement, I need the facts. So I don't want to rush into a statement. Making the statement when I made it was excellent. Unlike you and unlike the media, before I make a statement, I like to know the facts. But I want to make sure when I make a statement that the statement is correct. There was no way of making a correct statement that early. I had to see the facts. Unlike mm-hmm. a lot of reporters, mm-hmm. I couldn't have made it sooner because I didn't know all of the he facts. Didn't know. Excuse me. It he, was very important he, to me, yeah. to get the facts out and correctly. Right. I want to make a statement with knowledge. I wanted to know the facts. So- sure.
1: right. yeah, there you go. He's very careful. If you know, that's what they say about Donald Trump. He's careful. He's cautious. He takes his time. He's deliberative on these uh, issues. Make sure to get all the facts from all of the experts and all of the news sources before going out and making a pronouncement.
2: But only when it applies to white supremacist domestic terrorism. Apparently
1: so. When it when it comes to that, uh, he needs to know all the facts. Yes. An attack on a train in the UK. Well, loser terrorists. We need to, to to widen the travel ban on Muslims. We need to restrict the internet somehow. In the meantime, last night, uh, Trump doubled down again on his comments about both sides being responsible for what happened in Charlottesville. And as another Twitter uh, user pointed out in response to Trump's tweets on London today, uh, quote, no word on that school shooting in Washington where the shooter was a white male. Yeah, true. In that one, this uh, school shooting, which happened on Wednesday of this past week at a high school here in the U.S., one of the victims was actually killed. Nobody, by the way, was killed, uh, fortunately, happily, so far, at least in that um, uh, Friday morning subway attack in London. But here in the U.S., one of the victims was killed. Three others were shot. All high school kids. So far, Trump has yet to say a thing. Even about the victims or the heroes who stopped the shooter, including the student that was killed while doing so. ABC News reports today that when a Washington State high school student confronted a classmate who was armed inside the school, authorities said the student, quote, tried to talk to the armed classmate, tried to talk the uh, classmate out of it, but the gunman fatally shot him. Spokane County Sheriff uh, Ozzy Knezovic told reporters that the young man gave his life to save his fellow classmates. The shooting took place at Freeman High School in Rockford, Washington. According to ABC Spok- uh, Spokane affiliate uh, KXLY, friends and family identified the victim as a sophomore at the high school. The suspect, who uh, was eventually taken into custody, his custody had brought an AR-15 and a handgun inside the school that morning. The sheriff uh, said that the AR-15 jammed, thankfully. He said, thank God he had jammed that AR up so badly that it was not going to function. Raising a lot of questions, among them, how did a high school kid get his hands on a handgun, a pistol, much less an AR-15 semi-automatic rifle? And if he was able to shoot 4 students with that pistol, imagine the carnage he might have uh, he might have been able to carry out had the AR15 been in fully working order. After the student who tried to talk him down had been shot, the sheriff says the janitor confronted uh, uh, the the gunman, ordered him to the ground and then held him there. So there's Another hero, the uh, the student who was killed, the sh- janitor who was able to talk him down and, and hold him down. And then a school resource officer apparently rushed in and helped the janitor to take the suspect into custody. So a lot of heroes in this shooting and yet apparently no time, no time at all, as far as I know, for a single tweet, a single statement from the president of the United States to either, to either praise those heroes or to condemn the gunman who killed one and injured three other Americans. Now two days, we're now two days after the incident. You know, Trump had to come out within minutes of following what happened in London with all sorts of tweets and all sorts of pronouncements and giving up intelligence, potentially threatening to shut down the Internet, uh, threatening to expand his travel ban, claiming he knew exactly who was behind this sort of uh, incident. But two days, an incident here in America, nothing, not a word. But that's not even the worst of it. As journalist Eric Bullert uh, noted earlier in the week in a story that I have been uh, trying to get to now for days, one of the deadliest U.S. gun rampages in the last 10 years, and it is not even considered news. Uh, Yes, we had one of the deadliest U.S. gun rampages in the last 10 years, but you wouldn't even know it. Uh, Eric Bullard, formerly at Media Matters, now at Share Blue, uh, was on a, a, a his own tweet storm on this earlier in the week. He said there was a mass shooting in U, in the U.S. on Sunday night. Nine were dead at a football watch party, and most people have never even heard about it. This was a mass murder, a mass murder in the suburbs of Plano, Texas. You have a lot of family there in I uh, do. uh, Plano. does he? Uh, a mass murder with the, the shooter and apparently eight others dead. And few people even know about it. Buller tweeted, it's not even big news when a barbecue ends in mass carnage after a jealous ex-boyfriend shows up heavily armed. The NRA and GOP are winning, he says. As a culture, we have become immune to these horrors. He's right. And he notes the press plays a big role in this. It's mind-boggling. He says that there was a gun rampage in Plano, Texas, on Sunday night, nine dead, and Plano has not been mentioned even one time on cable news as of the time. This was several days after the Sunday shooting that he was uh, on this tweet. Hasn't been mentioned even one time on cable news. Not one time, according to uh, TV eyes. Jacqueline Floyd at the Dallas Morning News Said that uh, with the slowly spreading realization on Monday that the carnage was almost certainly linked to a marital breakup, no radicalized Muslims, no unauthorized immigrants to, to get everybody worked up. She said there was nothing to talk about other than firearms. So, right. That means the right wing media is not going to talk about it because, you know, all you could talk about was firearms. And if the right wing media doesn't talk about it, well, then, by and large, neither will the rest of the media. She writes the notion that all it takes is an injured ego for the guy next door to murder eight people is as frightening to me as an act of political terrorism. Yeah, it ought to be. She said it's random, unhinged. It feels like chaos. Yes, she adds, we have a gun problem in this country, starting with the fact that we are unable to have a sensible conversation about guns without losing our minds. We also have an anger management problem. We have a rage problem. We have some serious problems with impulse control, she writes. It's that poisonous symbiosis of anger and loaded weapons that can make our society feel like a war-ravaged minefield, where routine family problems and everyday grudges and neighborhood grievances can explode in gunfire. She says this is a lot more complicated than being for or against guns. It's about a lethal, commonplace syndrome. We cannot trust people who can't manage their own anger to safely manage loaded guns. But of course, if you even have this conversation... The GOP and the NRA will call you a gun grabber, won't they? We also have a media problem in this country. Bollert notes, this is one of the deadliest U.S. gun rampages in the last 10 years, and it's not considered news, adding, God help us. Uh, God help us indeed. Whether there is one or not, I'll take uh, any help we can get at this point. All right, a quick break, and we will come back with, uh, well, good thing the Trump administration isn't going to waste a lot of American taxpayer dollars in trying to do something about global warming and climate change and the extremely deadly weather that comes with it. That would be a total waste of time. That story and more on our uh, on our woeful electoral system, some good and bad news, both out of California and maybe some listener mail. All of that and more is ahead on today's broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, America's twin hurricane disasters inflicted $190 billion in direct damage, according to Eric Holdhouse over at Gris.org. With lingering economic impacts from lost business adding up to perhaps an additional $100 billion, that puts us up uh, at about $300 billion that these two storms over the past two weeks are going to cost. The U.S. by the latest estimates, financial firms Moody's and Goldman Sachs have already lowered their estimates of overall U.S. economic growth in the wake of the storms. Goldman Sachs added that as many as 100,000 jobs could be lost as businesses downsize in the wake of those storms. Hundreds of thousands. Yeah.
2: Hundreds of thousands of jobs that could be lost. I just want to highlight that. Yeah.
1: Hundreds of thousands of homeowners in Texas and Florida are expected to fall behind on their mortgage payments. That's bringing fears of an uptick in foreclosures once again. About 10 percent of the U.S. population were directly impacted by the storms, according to Goldman Sachs, of 10 percent of the U.S. Uh, in the wake of these, just these two storms in just two weeks, the, com- the combined effect of the two hurricanes will leave an economic toll greater than Hurricane Katrina, the worst natural disaster in U.S. history. Federal agencies have been warning for years of the increasing economic toll of climate-related disasters, and the recent storms fit a pattern of more frequent large-scale weather disasters, just as scientists have been warning about for so long. That, as uh, folks in the Caribbean and in Florida and in Texas are still, and in Louisiana, are still trying to work their way out from these storms, we can already see the damage that it's going to cost uh, to the U.S. economy, huge numbers. And uh, that's before Hurricane Jose. Yes, uh, that uh, hurricane is back to a uh, tropical storm for the moment. It had been a Category 3 hurricane some days ago, but it's still spinning around in the Atlantic. And models are now putting it on course for a potential landfall or at least a brush with the mid-Atlantic seaboard in a few days. Yes, we're talking to you, New Jersey, New York, New York. Connecticut, Massachusetts, all of whom uh, are are still uh, coming back from, what was it, the 2013 uh, Superstorm Sandy.
2: That's right. There are people still in New Jersey who are still trying to dig out of that.
1: This storm season is not over, not by a long shot at this point. And, I should note, a major typhoon, Typhoon Talim, is now on course to roll over Japan over the weekend. And that comes after, was it Hurricane Max that hit Mexico? On, yes, Mexico's
2: uh, west coast. On Got the west it. coast? Yeah. and Hurricane Katia, Katia on the, east, on the coast. east coast. That was just last week, along with the earthquake.
1: Yes. Uh, so, I mean, they are getting hit over and over and over again in Mexico. We are getting hit over and over again now in the U.S. Asia has been getting hit over and over again now for some time. Uh, including the monsoon season in South Asia, which killed thousands. You know, there was there was a time people were talking about, oh, oh, look, those uh, global warming alarmists. That's you, Desi Doyen, <laughs> uh, yeah. are, are you know, running around, uh, you know, with their uh, hair on fire. And yet we haven't had any hurricanes come aground in the U.S. for a long time. So apparently they were people like you were totally wrong About hurricane. Now, uh, scientists never said there was going to be more hurricanes. What they said was there was going to be increased power, increased sizes.
2: Yes, not more hurricanes, more intense hurricanes.
1: Right. And that is exactly what we are seeing in all of these storms. And by the way, there are all of these storms. We've been covering them uh, for the last several years on the Green News Report. But, you know, if they don't make landfall in the U.S., they may as well not have happened. Right. Uh, you know, kind of like mass shootings carried out by white people.
2: Well, yeah, and and, and also notice that when you hear climate science deniers say, oh, well, we haven't had a major hurricane landfall in the United States in the last 12 years. Well, when they talk about that, they're talking specifically about major hurricane landfalls because they don't count Superstorm Sandy as a major hurricane landfall Mm. because it landed as a post-tropical storm, but it still cost billions and billions of dollars. So the hurricane, so-called hurricane drought that wasn't, is just another way as Dr. Michael Mann said the other day uh, that the forces of delay and denial try to prevent people from grasping the clear, direct, and present threat of climate change that it is going to cost us a great deal of money. Extreme weather is extremely expensive.
1: And when they, uh, you know, talk about when when they are forced to talk about climate change, they say, well, it's just too expensive. We cannot, it would just cost the American economy too much to, to take action about it now. We'll just wait. We'll uh, maybe, maybe mitigate down the road. President Trump has already uh, undone, uh, you know, a lot of uh, policies from the previous administration that were meant for mitigation. Uh, We'll see if he changes his mind on that. But you know, this idea that climate change, even if it does exist, this imaginary climate change, it's just too expensive. We can't possibly do anything about it. We just got to keep making it worse and worse by burning more and more fossil fuels into the atmosphere so that we are faced with the mess we uh, we now have. Am I right, Mr. President?
2: I mean let's let's consider this. How much would it have cost us to strengthen our coastal defenses, build some more storm resistant housing, protect the industries from flooding that are currently on our coastlines like oh I don't know, the navy yards in Norfolk, Virginia or the petrochemical industry in Houston that's now spewing way more toxic pollution than they're supposed to be doing because they were not properly hardened for these kinds of these kinds of uh, extreme weather impacts. I mean Harvey, if nothing, has exposed a huge vulnerability in the petrochemical industry. They are not ready for these storms. So we could look at it and say, oh, gosh, Harvey and Irma are probably going to cost, like you said, about $290 billion. It probably would have cost about via some estimates that I've seen, yeah. probably would have cost about $150 billion to have done all of this hardening in advance, and that's not even looking at the cost of making our emissions cleaner and avoiding the problem in the first place. Uh,
1: exactly. And all of, all of the jobs and the American industry, that uh, the, the money that would come into that if we had a uh, warlike mobilization uh, to move away from fossil fuels... To, you know, clean stuff that doesn't uh, blow up and that actually works after a storm, uh, like solar. Um, yeah, the
2: cost of, the cost of being prepared wind, yeah. is way less than the cost of rebuilding over and over and over again.
1: Well, yeah, but uh, it is the fossil fuel industry that keeps these uh, politicians afloat, so that's where we still are. At this time. All right, we were talking on a previous broadcast with uh, uh, Gaius Publius about the Equifax hack of the personal data records of some 143 million Americans and the lack of accountability that they are likely to face for that failure. But when it comes to big data like that, it seems that uh, there are many who take this sort of uh, uh, privacy of uh, the the American public and their identities. A A lot of folks taking this very, very casually. Nearly 600,000 records on Alaskan voters were left unsecured on the web, accessible to anyone who knew where to look without any form of, of logging in whatsoever. The uh, nearly 600,000 records were discovered by researchers at Chromtech Security Center and verified by a, uh, a reporter over at ZDNet, according to The Hill, Each record contains names, addresses, voting preferences, dates of birth, marital status, ethnicity. Some contained information like gun ownership, children's ages, and issues a campaign might otherwise try to appeal to. The file was originally compiled by a company named Target Smart, which uh, is a a leader in national voting databases that they then sell to political campaigns. The file appears to have been stored in a misconfigured online database by the marketing group Equals 3. They had purchased that list from Target Smart. They held the data in a misconfigured database, leaving it online without any security controls. Uh, It sounds like the state of Georgia. Georgia. And their voter files, which were left completely online, completely accessible to anyone without any passwords at all, you would uh, this was in their lead-up to the election last year and their lead-up to the special election uh, for the U.S. House this year, left totally online, not only the voter records left online, but also actual passwords for the actual voting system. As we have reported, uh, so you know what, we just don't take this stuff seriously in this country.'ve I've commented several times of late uh, since the uh, since the news of the Equifax hack and the 143 million Americans whose social security numbers and birth dates, etc, were stolen from that credit monitoring firm, this huge billion dollar company that could not protect computer records from hackers. If they couldn't do it, how the hell? How the hell are the county clerks, the local county registrars, going to protect their electronic voting systems and their tabulation systems and their voter records against a determined uh, hacker, much less an insider? I mean, it's just insane. Well, we can't. And there's a couple of stories that I've been trying to get to of late uh, that underscore this point I've, that I've been trying to make for about 15 years. One of them has to do with Dennis Kucinich and Des. Every day when we started the story, uh, when we started the show, I've been saying, "Boy, I'm going to try to get to Dennis Kucinich today."
2: <laughs> Finally, Dennis Kucinich. Poor, poor been poor Dennis
1: Kucinich. Yes, yes, he has been waiting. Uh, this was a, a week or two ago now. Former Congressman Dennis Kucinich found a public back door, an actual physical back door. To the Cuyahoga County, Ohio, Board of Elections unlocked on a Saturday afternoon. This was uh, earlier this month, about about a week ago, September 4, I think it was. Uh, Kucinich said he was on his way to vote around 2.15 in the afternoon, since the Board of Elections is typically open on a Saturday. These were for uh, metropolitan elections, the municipal elections that they were holding. He said, I went to the back entrance of the building of the Cuyahoga County Board of Elections. That's That's Cleveland. That's the largest county in the state of Ohio. He said, I went to the back entrance and I entered and then the alarm went off. And I said, well, that's odd. He took the elevators up to the second floor and then to the third floor to tell someone that the alarm was going off. But there was no one in the building. Wow. The rear door of the Board of Elections was unlocked. When he realized the building was empty, he called the police. He said at a time when people are very concerned about the integrity of elections, it's alarming that the door to the Board of Elections was open, that the building was not guarded. Never mind guarding our data from the Internet. Apparently, the Cuyahoga County Board of Elections can't even lock, make sure their doors are locked before leaving for the weekend. Another person showed up to vote before the police finally arrived. Kucinich advised the voter to not go into the building. The Board of Elections needs to conduct an immediate investigation to make sure all election materials are secured, Kucinich said at the time. They also need to take a look at their security. Oh, you think? He said, so here we are on the eve of a very important municipal election in Cleveland. There is no doubt there are unvoted ballots in the building. Inaho Chapelle, Chairwoman of the Board of Elections, said that no ballots were tampered or compromised. They are in a secured room which requires double, uh, two double locks. Uh, she said, The election process has not been compromised in any way, she said. Don't worry, feel better.
2: Take our word for it.
1: We'll uh, We'll investigate and work with the county sheriff to determine how the door was left unlocked. These are county buildings and the county Sheriff's office is the one which locks and unlocks and opens and closes the buildings for us. Feel better yet? County spokeswoman Mary Louise Madigan released a statement saying, We are confident that the ballots are intact and haven't been compromised in any way, she said. Well, that's good. We can only hope that she's uh, that she's right about that. But, you know, if they can't even get the, the physical security at these buildings right, uh, really? They're going to get the... The cyber security, right? They can't get the physical security. Equifax can't uh, stop 143 million Americans from having their uh, their records hacked into. Which brings me to the other story that I've been trying to get to now for uh, quite some time. This was uh, from NBC News, despite what NBC News describes as Russia's attempts to hack the 2016 U.S. election and the voter registration systems of 21 states i think they're a little uh, a little lazy with their uh, language there but in any event an nbc news investigation has revealed that election officials in most in the most heavily populated counties of three crucial swing states still have not received any formal training on how to detect and fight cyber attacks election officials in three of pennsylvania's four biggest counties Uh, Philadelphia, Allegheny, Allegheny and Bucks, which together account for nearly a third of the state's voters, told NBC News they have never received any cybersecurity training at all. Experts say it's crucial for the uh, officials uh, in order to be able to identify risks. NBC reached out to election officials in every county in Arizona. Pennsylvania and yes, Michigan, and got responses from 60% of the counties. Officials from all 15 Arizona counties responded, but only five said that their officials had received cybersecurity training. In Pennsylvania, where 42 of 67 counties responded, eight said that their workers had training. Just eight out of the 42 who bothered to respond. In Michigan, 40 of the state's 83 counties responded. Only 12 indicated receiving formal training. Of course, there's a lot to uh, many questions about what they could possibly uh, see if they had their cybersecurity training, but they would be taught not to, you know, for example, click on spear phishing emails and so forth that make hacks from the outside even easier. We just don't take it seriously, which makes uh, the news out of California now. Uh, even a bit more troubling here we've got at least some some good news uh, we got some bad and some good news uh, out of the California state legislature this week. I'll start with the start with the bad news. Last week we had told you about the bill that was uh, amended in the state Senate at the last minute a B840. Uh, it was amended to keep nearly half of the ballots cast in the state of California out of the pool of ballots that is subject to our state's puny, pathetic 1% post election, uh, uh, supposedly random hand audit of the ballots to make sure that the electronic voting machines and tabulators actually recorded the ballots as per the voters intent. We only do 1%. This it's supposed to be 1% of of precincts in this post election audit. Um and even that already lousy post election spot check protocol, believe it or not, believe it or not, it's one of the best in the country. Uh but as bad as it is, Democratic legislators in the state assembly and the state senate now Uh, With the support of the Democratic secretary of state are hoping to make that even worse by allowing all late vote by mail ballots, vote by mail ballots that arrive in the three days after the election and all provisional ballots that are cast. Those will now be exempt from the post election one percent random audit. If this bill is signed by the governor on Thursday, the assembly agreed to the amendments that were made in the Senate to do this. It was these were surprise amendments. Nobody knew about it. Uh, So now the assembly has agreed to what the Senate has passed and a concurrence vote is expected in the Senate before the measure will be sent to Jerry Brown for his signature, which uh, with the overwhelming support in both uh, both houses of the legislature and the support of the Secretary of State, I suspect that Jerry Brown will will do exactly that. He will sign it. So if you're in California, uh, feel free to call Jerry Brown in Sacramento. Tell him you oppose AB 840 and, um, and the roadmap to fraud, basically, that it provides to election fraudsters. It tells you exactly which ballots... Nobody will ever check by hand after an election. As to the uh, as to the better news out of the state legislature, uh, I'll leave you with this. The uh, California State Assembly on Thursday passed a bill that would require all presidential candidates to release their tax returns prior to being placed on the state's ballot. The bill is called the Presidential Tax Transparency and Accountability Act. It passed the state assembly 42 to 18. Who are those 18 people who said, uh, no, we don't want to know. We don't want to force a president. Well, you know, they're, they they got to be Republicans. <laughs> uh, and now it heads to the state uh, Senate for a concurrence vote there before it goes to the governor. Senator Mike McGuire, one of the authors of the bill, a Democrat, said that President Trump's blatant disregard for the tradition of releasing tax returns is dangerous to our democracy. I have to agree with him. SB 149 helps to reestablish desperately needed transparency in the White House. And we are looking forward to seeing the governor's signature on the bill. The bill would require all presidential candidates to release the last five years of their tax returns in order to appear on the California ballot. Uh, Senator Scott Weiner, another author of the bill, said the bill is about giving American people the honesty and transparency they deserve as the coming months, as the months continue uh, to go by in the disastrous Trump administration, he says, and the investigations and conflicts of interest pile up. It becomes more and more clear how critical basic transparency is in how we elect our president. Trump, of course, became the first presidential candidate in decades to not disclose his tax returns, saying during the campaign that he couldn't release them because of an IRS audit. But the IRS had but he but promising that he would release them as soon as the audit was over, apparently that was a lie. The IRS uh, has said that audits do not prevent people from releasing their own tax information in any event, and now questions continue to swirl in what seemed to be unending investigations into this president uh, and this presidency anytime he makes any decision whatsoever, uh, is it, in fact, a conflict of interest? And, uh, of course, those tax returns would help us begin to understand that. Uh, It'll be interesting if this is signed in California, if uh, Donald Trump, if he actually runs for re-election in California, if he says, well, you know what? The hell with it. I'm not going to go on the California ballot. I wasn't going to win there anyway. So I'm still not going to release my tax returns.
2: No, well, and and just to make the further point that Trump has done a very good job of exposing how weak our norms are, you know, that they only are... Uh, they only yeah. count if people uh, follow that them. It's, and not, so a it's that, not a law. It's not a yeah. law. It's got to be codified into law. And that's apparently what we've got to do next is codify all this stuff into
0: law.
1: Well, uh, it was would certainly be an obstacle for pretty much anyone uh, other than a sitting president at this point in uh, 2020 if uh, California d- requires this. So I hope that they do. But, yeah, it ought to be federal law. All right, a quick break, and we're back with, uh, let's go to a little bit of listener mail uh, after this. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your broadcast. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Welcome back to the broadcast, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. I know. I, I it's good to hear that. I haven't heard that song in a while. I, know. I like I like listening to it. Uh, all right, welcome back. We've uh, there there was a well, we got a number of. Uh, healthcare stories here that i had hoped to get to. I'm going to have to hold them uh, for a later date. Uh, But suffice to say, very interesting developments with the introduction by Bernie Sanders of a uh, Medicare for all bill in the U.S. Senate and all of the U.S. senators who are falling over themselves now to become co-sponsors of that. But we are also, A, heading towards... The open enrollment period, which has been cut in half, it starts November 1, the open enrollment period for the Affordable Care Act, the length of which used to be uh, three months. Now it's down to six weeks. So uh, if you need to sign up or change your coverage uh, or something like that, uh, please be aware that starts November 1. I'll have uh, more on that as well in coming days Um, and as well. Yes, the Republicans are not yet done trying to repeal and replace Obamacare. A bill uh, has been uh, secretly developed in the U.S. Senate that looks very, very not good, and it could come forward for a vote in the next week or two. So if you thought that was behind us, think again. We'll be covering that in the near future, I suspect, and fear. All right. Uh, so quickly, some uh, some comments from listeners, uh, one from uh, from Larry Bergen at Bradblog.com on my conversation concerning Equifax uh, and the breach of over one hundred and forty three million personal records of consumers that they tracked for their credit monitoring reports. Uh, responding to my uh, interview with Gaius Publius on this. Larry writes. I went to the Equifax page to see if my information had been stolen. It told me that Equifax believed my data had not been compromised. He writes, gee, it's a good thing the government, which screws everything up, wasn't involved in this. It could have been really bad had the government been involved. He's being (laughs) sarcastic here. A uh, g- great and very maddening interview with Mr. Publius, he says. He's right. This incompetent, perhaps like a Fox corporation, will walk away. And all three of these corporations, he's referring to the three who do the major three who do the credit monitoring, Equifax, TransUnion and Experian, they will all make a good fortune in $10 bills at the very least. That's the cost that they charge, apparently, for putting a security freeze on your, uh, on your account at these places with whom you didn't even know that you did business, did you? Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian, they all have your record. You have to pay them to put a security freeze on your account.
2: You have to pay them to protect you.
1: Correct. Uh, it's a, a protection racket, isn't it?
2: Yeah, nice, I mean, nice credit history you got there. Hate for something to happen to <laughs> it.
1: Exactly. Uh, Larry goes on to say, What a country! It's like Ronald Reagan said, the most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from Equifax, and I'm here to help. <laughs> uh, okay, also uh, some email from Bill G. In response to uh, one of our uh, shows earlier in the week, apparently, uh, in, which I was, in which I was taking calls on the corporate media failing, once again, f- uh, failing and falling for the idea that uh, Donald Trump is pivoting that he is now somehow independent or, or or bipartisan. He's finding a bipartisan path forward, as a lot of folks in the media said. Uh, that, after striking just one lousy deal, uh, frankly, a, a really easy accommodation, not even a deal, an agreement with Democrats to, to raise the debt ceiling and fund the government as is for another three months in exchange of uh, funding for Hurricane Harvey. To start some relief funding there, uh, that does not seem to me to be wildly independent. A wild pivot. He's not undermining the uh, 150-year-old two-party system, as uh, as Washington it, yes, New York Times yes, described yes, it that way. Yes, They did. They did. All right. Well, in in response to that and uh, th- that failure and the fact that the corporate media was falling for uh, you know what Trump was doing all over again, Bill G writes to say, "Dear Brad." You speak of the MSM falling for this or falling for that. Ergo, if only the MSM were smarter, less easily taken in, they would tell the truth about what's going on in the world. Bill G says, I can only conclude that you either are not the sharpest pencil in the box or what is more likely that you are so eager to be counted among the, quote, loyal opposition that you will not speak of whose interests the MSM owners serve with with malice and aforethought, he said, "What a disservice you do to your followers, among whom I am not." Well, all I will say to that, Bill, is uh, excellent grammar.
2: Yes, very well. There's
1: written. that, and uh, and thank you for the feedback. You can drop me feedback as well if you like. Uh, my email address is bradcast at bradblog.com or via the Facebooks and the Twitters at The Bradblog. My thanks to our producer Desi Doyen and to all of you folks who contact, uh, contact us via email, via comments, via tweets, good or bad. Always nice to hear from you. Uh, So my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's broadcast, you can, as ever, download it for free at bradblog.com. My great thanks to those of you, by the way, if uh, if you enjoy the Bradcast, unlike Bill G, if you uh, enjoy what we do here, if you'd like to help us continue to uh, con- continue to keep doing it over your public airwaves. Now is a great time to help us do so by stopping by bradblogcom dot com slash donate and becoming an active supporter of the Bradcast. Really now it would be great. Uh, So thanks in (laughs) advance for that. Uh, Anything else that I need to cover here, Des? I think I got it all covered. All right, we're going to get out of here while the getting is good. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.